Okay. <laughs> How's everyone doing this evening? How many of you, this is your second time at church today? Double dippers. Love it. Yes. Twice the amount of Jesus. Cool. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Someone will get it to you. Very nice. Raise them nice and high. This is church. Come on. Very nice. Uh, we're going to be predominantly in Matthew chapter 9, if you want to turn there. I missed you guys. How is everyone? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Conducted bronchitis while I was there. Getting over it, though. So if I cough, uh, excuse. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not even going to say excuse me. I'm going to say one giant excuse me. Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to tell you a little, about, a little bit about Uganda, if that's okay with you. Is that all right? I know a lot of you wanted to hear about it, so um, I'll tell you. But first, let's read our text and let's pray. We're going through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in chronological order. Not skipping anything. Um, I saw the outline, you know, that Damien Kyle made. I'm not copying his sermons, but I'm, I'm going through, you know, the same scripture that he went through. And it was daunting. It took him three and a half years. Okay, so you guys, you guys are in it for the long haul, if you want to stay. I want to make you stay. All right. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting on the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance." Very convicting for me. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. We love you. Father, uh, it is said, Lord, that uh, if you come to church on Sunday mornings, you love the church. If you come on Wednesdays, you love the pastor. And if you come on Sunday nights, you love Jesus. Lord, this room is full of people who love Jesus, Lord, and want to seek you and want to be refreshed by you at the end of their day, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would refresh them and bathe them in the water of the word tonight. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you in everything that you are. God, so spectacular. We love you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen. So, Africa was amazing. Uganda was cool. You know, there are a lot of Africans there, okay? You know, I mean, I expected that. Not a lot of people like this. Um, not a lot of people who say bro and bra, you know, not a lot of people throwing shakas like I do. And so I, I do this to them and they'd be like, you know, they'd be looking at me like I'm crazy. You know, I would call them bro and they'd be like, bro, <laughs> they thought I was calling them something mean, you know? And, and so, you know, it, it, it took a while to acclimate to the culture. You know, I, I wasn't there for too long, but, uh, yeah, Africa was amazing. Uganda was amazing. Just, just beautiful people. Beautiful, beautiful people. And, you know, uh, I was stretched there a lot. Um, I, you know, to, I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you guys right now, all right? You know, just me and you here. I mean, there's not a lot of people here, you know, so I, I can level with you, okay? So, so you know, well, Rob, from the get-go, bringing William Paul, right? 
you know, Will Paul. And, and, and so to be completely honest, I thought my job, you know, cause Rob asked me to go last minute, like a week before I left. So I only had a week's notice until I was going to Uganda. Right. And so my mentality was, ah, I'm going to go here and, and basically I'm going to be, you know, kind of babysitting the Fiedlers and, and Will Paul. Right. That, that's, that's, that's honestly, you know, that, that was what I thought I was going to do. I, I thought I was, you know, I was going to, and I was so stoked to see the Fiedlers, but I'm like, man, I'm, I'm traveling miles and miles away, you know, to, you know, just see these kids. Right. And, and, you know, I Skype them often, you know, I see them, I, I see them often. Okay. I see their faces. And, and so, you know, I, I was a little discouraged, but not, you know, I was excited to go to Africa. You know what I mean? I was excited to go to Uganda. <coughs> But then I got there, and, and right off the get-go, I, I preached like three times in one day, the day that I got there. And, 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 so, and so I'm like, oh gosh, this is going to be a long, long trip. And, and, and I remember the, the second day I was there, we went out to this school. And uh, it, it was this school, it was literally in a mud hut. And, and there was 100 kids in one room, in one compact room. I would say the room was the size of that aisle. Like, I mean, like, like that whole row of chairs right there, that was the size of the room. There's like a hundred kids in there, right? Um, from ages 10 to like 16. Okay. And, 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 and it was just full of room and I'm just like, uh, I'm going nuts. And all, and, 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 and to my surprise, all of them speak English. All of them speak English. Many, you got like many of them just <coughs> speak English. And so I'm like, this is it. This is awesome. And so I preached the gospel to them, like 50 kids right off the bat come to Christ. And it, it, it was amazing. And then the next day, like another 25 kids come to Christ. And then the next day, like 30 adults come to Christ. And then the, and it was just, it was amazing to see because I was totally out of my element, right? I mean, I, 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 I had no idea what to expect. I didn't spiritually, mentally, physically prepare for it. Neither did Will, neither did Pastor Rob, I think. I mean, none of us really prepared for what was going to happen there in Uganda. And, and, and lo and behold, you know, almost 200 people total in our, in our 10-day trip came to Christ. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. You know, I was stretched as a minister. I was stretched as a Christian. And I was stretched as a young man as well. You know, just in what I can physically do and what I was capable of. Right? And, and, and so I, I was stretched, you know. And, and now I say I was out of my element in the fact that I was not in America, right? You know, I mean, there was no waves, you know, there, there was no beach, right? I mean, there was, you know, I was, I was out of my element in that, in, that, in that context, you know, I was out of the country. But, you know, for somebody like me, and for those of you who know me personally, you'll know this, I, a structure kind of throws me off. You know, too much organizing and too much structure, you know, too much thinking, you know, that, 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 that throws me off. So Uganda, I, I, I kind of, I, I really felt free in Uganda. I, I really felt like, ah, oh, at last, no schedule. I can just go preach, you know, and, and so I'm like, this, this is awesome, you know, preaching five times a day. You know, I, I loved going into random villages and just hanging out with the kids, right? And, and Will, he connected with all, all those kids, loved him. You know, they, they call us Mzungus, white people. Mzungus. They called me Chinese Mzungu. You know, they, they all thought I was Chinese. I, was, I, I guess I was the closest thing to a Chinese person they had ever seen. You know? <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa! <laughs> like, Chinese Mzungu! You know, Pastor Chinese! You know, like, cool! <laughs> yeah, that's me! <laughs> come on! Yeah, come to Jesus! And so, you know, it was, it, was, it was good. It was a good trip. It was fun. You know, it was just fun doing God's work, and not worrying about anything. It was, it, it was so fun not worrying about whether the AC worked or not. You guys know that? You know, it, it was so fun, you know, I mean, 
it, it was so fun being able to preach to these high school kids, not worrying about what their parents would say to me afterwards, you know? I mean, it's like I can say words that, you know, it's like I, I would never say here. And, and, and in a good way, in a good way. And it was just fun. It was fun preaching the gospel. And I got to see Will come to Christ. And then I got to see him the next day preach. It was awesome. It was like a, it was like a five-minute sermon, but it was so profound. It was amazing. I got to see the Lord do so many great things. And then everyone says, was it life-changing? Was it, was it life-changing? And, and, you know, ever since I got back, people have been asking me if it was life-changing. Oh, it must have been a humbling experience seeing how all those people have nothing. It makes you appreciate what you have. And I said, no. It was not humbling in that regard. It was not at all humbling in that regard. How sweet is it that they have nothing and, and they're still so happy. It makes me appreciate all the good things that I have. And, and, I, and what I would submit to you is that actually, no, they have way more than we do. Way more. Actually, it, it was humbling. It was humbling, but not in a way where, man, I have so much and they have so little. No, that's not why it was humbling. I was jealous of some of these people. I went to this church, Calvary Chapel in Tebe, by Pastor Craig Linquist. Maybe some of you have met him before. This church was full of people that need Jesus. And, and what I mean need Jesus, I don't mean that they don't, you know, they're not Christian and then they need to come to Christ. I mean they literally every single day must wake up praying that God would provide for them. And God provides. I'm jealous of that. I'm jealous of that. I got my iPhone, a nice bed. I don't wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, please keep me alive. Jesus, please sustain me. And so, and so what I, you know, it was a humbling experience, not in the fact where, oh man, I have so much and they have so little. How, how, how sweet. No, no, no. Their, their worship was twice as loud and their prayers were twice as deep because Jesus was all they have. Jesus was all they have. Their worship convicted me. The way they sang. The way they bowed on their knees. Tears rolling down their face saying, thank you, Lord, for keeping me alive one extra day. That was what humbled me. Not the fact that I have so much more more than that. And here I am, the American, hey, gracing you with my presence. Hello, Uganda. Actually, I think I left Uganda in, in some regards a little worse off because I had to teach some kids geometry. I think I ruined the architectural future of Uganda. Not, not going to lie, I had a bunch of 7th and 8th graders and there was this class of about 50 kids and they say, Mazungu, Mazungu, Chinese Mazungu, you teach them geometry. And I'm like, okay. I have preached in front of hundreds of people, but I, you know, I, I, never, I never sweat in my hands, I never really stutter, I'm, ne- I'm never nervous, but when I was in front of those kids teaching them geometry, I felt like I was going to puke. I was going to puke. I was going to throw up. My hands were shaking. I got all clammy. I was sweating. I was stuttering as I, I, I wrote on the chalkboard. This is a square. <laughs> this is a rectangle. Right? Like, like my parents will tell you. Uh, geometry. Oh, my God. I thought I was done for that forever. And now I'm teaching it to a thir- third world children. 
the future is in, in, is in their hands. I'm about to equip them. You know, they're going to bring a knife to a gunfight in the architectural future because because Chinese Mazungu ill-equipped them. Oh my gosh. That was the worst. That was the worst. I left them worse off. Hundreds of people came to Christ, but, but let's be honest, like, they have no church, you know. I mean, I, anyways, it was hard. It was tough. It was rough. All right. Next, next subject. And so, so yeah, it was fun. It was bottom line. It was fun. It was awesome. It was a good trip. It was life changing, but not in the way that people usually expect. People expect things to be life changing because we realize how much we have. No, it was life changing because I realized how much we need because of how much we have. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird how we have so much but so little at the same time. It's weird how. If maybe if I were to, if Rob, if Rob were to take away these chairs, the attendance at this church, I would say it would drop two thirds. Right? Wouldn't you agree with me? Right? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I would agree, but not me, not me. <laughs> you like sitting on the floor. That's one of my junior hires. She's like, get rid of. That. I, I have couches in there. And she's like, I want to sit on the floor. Yeah, sure. Anyways. It was a fun trip. It was a fun trip. It was a convicting trip. It was a humbling trip. It was, it was amazing to just see how much they need Jesus and how much they realize they need Jesus. And then, you know, I, I, I felt very good. I felt very good. I felt empowered by the Holy Spirit. It, it, it was not, in a, not, in a, not in a way where, like, hey, look at me, you know, but it, it was in a way where it's like, man, man, you know, Will, Rob, and I, we, we were just going by the Spirit, man. Waking up, not knowing what we were going to do in the morning. Rob had his schedule. I didn't have a schedule. And so I would just go and, and, and walk around, and, and, and somebody would tell me some, someone would tell me what to do, and I'd do it. And it was amazing. It was amazing just being led by the Spirit like that. It was almost like it was like the book of Acts. It was almost like Christianity. It was weird. It was weird. It was almost like I was a Christian. It was, it was odd. And, and, and so... It was fun. And, and, then, and then I got back. I got back and I'm like, yes, I'm going to bring this mentality to, to ministry back home, right? And, and it was what a perfect opportunity to bring that opportunity. Uh, the next day, I, I got back from Uganda. And then the next day, I left for summer camp to take junior hires to summer camp. And I'm like, yes, yes, this is going to be awesome. I have so much knowledge now of ministry, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to rock this summer camp. And all those youth pastors, they're not going to know what hit them. It's going to be crazy. Look at me, gentlemen. Feast your eyes on a missionary. I was in good health in Uganda. I was in very good health. No issues, which was surprising, right? Because, you know, you always expect to come back with some gnarly thing growing inside your stomach, waiting to give birth to millions of babies. But, but, but to be honest, I, I had no health issues in Uganda. No health issues. Until the last day, I had, you know, had kind of a sore throat and, you know, a little cough. And, you know, but, but it was in a different concept. You know, I needed the spirit the entire time, and it was an awesome trip, you know. And day after I got back, I drove the kids up to summer camp. <coughs> And I know summer camp, you know? I know it. I'm a, I'm a youth leader, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know summer camp. I've done, John, you know summer camp, right? You know it. You just, you know how to do it, 
right? You know how to do youth camps when you've been doing it for a little bit, okay? I've been doing it for a whole three years. You know, I'm, I'm super experienced, right? Uh, and I know, I know summer camp. I know how to do it. I know. I know summer camp. I don't need God's help for summer camp. I got this. <sighs> Man. I got this. Piece of cake. God said, really? You got this? You got this, Zach? Think you have everything under control? You think you're going to you think you're going to spend an entire 2 weeks being led by my spirit and then you're going to try to do everything in your flesh? You serious? You want to do things in your flesh? All right. You got this? Really? Do you still got this with bronchitis? So he gave me bronchitis. I, 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 I can honestly say, I, I believe the Lord gave me bronchitis. And not just, like, I, it's funny, but I'm not joking. I, I, I honestly believe, and people are like, oh, God doesn't punish people. No, but God chastens those he loves. I believe God gave me bronchitis. With all my heart, he gave it to me. He gave me bronchitis because I was so in the flesh when I, I'm like, look at me, the youth pastor who just got back from Uganda. Now I'm taking all these kids to camp. And then I'm going to be teaching. Oh, yeah. Feast your eyes, ladies and gentlemen. Minister of the year. I got bronchitis and I was really sick. You know, I would, I would joke around with the other youth leaders. Ah, you know, it gets to a point where you're so sick. It's just funny. You know, didn't I say that? Yeah, it was not funny. You know, I would joke, ah, I'm so sick, I'm so sick. I was dying inside. My lungs felt like they were on fire. Okay, I was so sick. I was in a lot and a lot of pain. So much pain. And every cough just stung so bad. And on top of that, you know, as I got more and more sick, I had kids complaining about iPhones and music etc. You know, I had counselors complaining about structure and, you know, and, and, I, and I'm like, I just got back from a country where kids don't have water and they don't complain. And now all these kids and all these people are complaining and I'm just like, ah, I just, it added, you know, it added because, you know, it's like I'm sick and, and people are complaining and I'm getting, needless to say, I quickly spiraled into the flesh. Okay. It was, it was downhill into the flesh, kersplat, okay, I was in the flesh, I would say, ah, it's Christ's strength, it's Christ's strength, I'll get through this, but really I'm saying, go Zach, go Zach, go Zach, go Zach, you got this, ministry became surviving instead of thriving in a, in a matter of days, ministry became thriving in Uganda to surviving at junior high camp, in a matter of days. Nothing changed, though. I had bronchitis, but my ministry didn't change. I did. And so, then I started to prepare for tonight's sermon. And so we we look at Matthew, the tax collector. As Jesus passed from here, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in his house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus called Matthew, okay? Jesus called Matthew as a tax collector. Tax collectors were leeches, okay? 
You have to know this. Tax collectors were leeches back then. Okay, all, the majority of their income was made out of taxing extra. When what they, they worked for the Roman government, right? These Jewish tax collectors worked for the Roman government. They would, they would be in small regions and they would tax their people. Okay, they would tax the Jewish people. Roman tax. But then they would charge extra to make their own income. Okay? And so, so the tax collectors, they were leeches. And actually, at this time period, there was a huge tax on fish. The disciples being fishermen, probably awkward when Matthew joined their group, right? It's probably a little awkward. My kid didn't get a birthday present because of you. I, I bet it was just super awkward. And, you know, tax collectors were hated. And they were always clumped together with the sinners because they were leeches. They were greedy, okay? They, they were backstabbers. They, they, they stabbed their entire uh, people group in the back. And they worked for Rome. And they would live off the suffering of their people and the oppression of their people. And, and these, they were associated with a sinful lifestyle. The tax collectors, they had their own lifestyle in and of themselves. Okay? They had their own posse. They had their own clubs. Okay? They did bad things with the money that they earned. They would invest it and they'd gamble with it. Then they would take bids on who can get the richest cities. The tax collectors, they're bad people. They're just plain and simple bad people. Probably not all of them. I believe I was a decent guy, but he was clumped with the worst of the worst, and he probably had friends that were way worse, right? Tax collectors and sinners, okay, they were clumped together with. Why does Jesus eat with these tax collectors and sinners? Just to put it in context with you, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine, because this happened many times, and I'm going to be a little scandalous, okay? I, I, I named this message a scandalous calling. I name my messages, but you know they never come up online like the way I name them. It would be like this: Pastor Rob, or or or, or somebody that you high in uh, as as a esteemed rabbi and esteemed teacher. I want you to imagine them sitting at a table with a bunch of people at a gay pride parade. This is how it was, and many of you are picturing what what you would think if you saw. A pastor sitting with a bunch of people like that. Drug dealers will say, if, if, if a gay pride parade doesn't strike something in you. Drug dealers, alcoholics. It'd be, like, it'd be like Jesus taking a bunch of guys from a bar and inviting them over to his house for dinner. This was it, okay? Or, or you know, to put it in a, a little, you know, a, a little more uh, parallel, okay? It'd be like Jesus taking a bunch of dirty politicians, and taking them to dinner, right? And, and knowing in Jewish culture, to eat with somebody was to accept them. Know this. To eat with somebody in Jewish culture was to accept them and all that they were, okay? If you did not agree with someone's lifestyle, some of their choices, if you didn't agree with their wife, if you didn't agree with anything that their children did, you did not eat with them. Food was so important to the Jewish people and, and communing over food and o- over a nice meal. That was huge. That was a big deal. So for Jesus to eat with sinners and tax collectors, when the Pharisees saw this, their legalistic flags started flying up and they said, why does your rabbi do this? Yeah, we hate Jesus, but no good or sensible rabbi would do this. Okay? Yeah, they wanted reasons to hate Jesus, but to be honest... If we saw Pastor Rob hanging out at a gay pride parade, many of you would say this, what is he doing with him? Her. What is he doing there? 
we would ask that honest question. What are they doing with all those drug dealers? That doesn't make sense. They're dirty politicians who suck the life out of us as taxpaying citizens. Why on earth would he be hanging out with him? Them. In fact, why would they call to be a disciple for that matter? They're sinners. They're not righteous like us. They're not sinners. I mean, they're sinners unlike us. Many times I do this. I I, I do this all the time. I love my own righteousness. I love it. I love the good things that I do. I love the good things that I do sometimes more than I love the good things that Jesus does. Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus explains in verse 12 through 13 why he eats with sinners. Look closely. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he goes on to say, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who are well have no need of a physician. I was sick in bed and God yelled, hello, hello, Zach. Do you even need me, Mr. Missionary Man? Hello, do you need me? Do you need me, Zach? Do you honestly need me? You're sick. And the most frustrating part was I wasn't really able to emotionally engage in these kids' lives, these kids that I loved. I wasn't able to emotionally and spiritually engage because I, I couldn't even have a conversation without breaking out and coughing. And let alone my body just felt like it was, uh, it was aching everywhere. And I couldn't emotionally engage with these kids and it was frustrating. And God said, do you need me now? Many times I'll, I'll step into that youth group. I'll even teach those kids and I'll hang out with those kids and I won't rely on Jesus' power at all because I feel like I've done it a hundred times already. When things start to become routine is when things start to become dangerous. When we start to love our own works and when we start to love our own actions, that's when, that's when our relationship with God spirals out of control. I was sick and God said, do you need me now? And I said, yeah, I do. I do need you. God led me to Philippians chapter 3, and this is a verse that I have been, it's been racking my brain for three days now. And so turn to Philippians chapter 3. These Pharisees had so much of their own righteousness that there was no room for God's righteousness. Okay? That's what we're going to be discussing. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2. Paul says this, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Okay, this is Paul's resume. Okay, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. The stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Paul was blameless. Paul was awesome. 
Okay, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was from one of the most prestigious bloodlines that you can have. He was in line to lead the Pharisees. This was Paul. And then he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul had such an impressive resume. He loved his own righteousness. Much like these Pharisees, they say, why does Jesus hang out with them? And Jesus says, do you know what? You don't even need me, brah. You're righteous enough. You don't need me. You're not going to get me. We love our own righteousness more than Christ. We try to do so much good stuff that we lose sight of our own sinfulness sometimes, don't we? Many times, you know, I, I, the more good things I do, the more good works I do by myself, like just doing good for people, sometimes I lose sight of how sinful I really am and how, much, how desperately I need Jesus. That's why it's so hard for the moral man to go, go to heaven. You guys know that? You know it's harder for the moral man to go to heaven than the heathen? <laughs> it, you know why it's so easy for people who are in prison to go to Jesus? Because they recognize that they're there. They're in prison. They realize how sinful and terrible they are. But talk to the businessman with a wife and three kids. Nice house, provides for his family. Doesn't cheat on his wife. He's good to her. Makes good income. It's that man who may have a harder time going to heaven. Because morality, morality can cover the gospel. Morality can cover the gospel. Our own righteousness can cover the gospel sometimes. My own righteousness, when I really love myself and what I'm doing for God, what I'm doing for God, sometimes what I'm doing in good works and in good deeds, that will, that will skew my view of who Jesus is because now he's my boss. Now he's a man I work for and not my savior. Paul had an impressive resume. Hebrew of Hebrews, one of the most prestigious bloodlines. Phenomenal speaker. Good rabbi. He counted all his rubbish. Poopy. That's what it's translated as. Poopy. I said it. It's church. Well, that's weird. Poopy. God, my junior highs would crack up right now. You guys are like, pastor. Poopy. Paul says it's poopy. It's poo-poo. All right? Listen, your good works, your good works, if they are not Poo-poo compared to the work of Christ. You're done for. You're done. You're done. It's like, come on. You can have Christ's righteousness or yours. Choose. What do you want? Do you want Christ's righteousness or your righteousness? Because you can't have both. You can't have both. Yeah, it's still laughing at poopy. In verse 8. 
In verse 8, he says, he says this, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. He's saying, I must, I must count my good works as rubbish. I must count my good works, my righteousness, I must count that as garbage compared to what Jesus has done for me. I must do that in order to attain righteousness, true righteousness. I must count my good works as garbage. I'm going to tell you something that will blow your mind. Blew my mind at least. Verse 10. Verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Calm down, Dakota. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The goal of the Christian is not to do. It's to die. Got that? Write that down. The goal of the Christian is not to do, but to die. The goal of the Christian is not to become as righteous as they possibly can doing good works. The goal of the Christian is to kill as much of themselves as possible so that Christ may live as much as possible in you. The goal is not good works. The goal is not morality. The goal is not going on mission trips. The goal is not ministering to kids. The goal is not to do any of that stuff unless you have the righteousness of Christ. It's rubbish. Garbage. The goal is not to do, but to die. The goal is to kill yourself every single day. Stab yourself with the penetrating word of God. Kill yourself every day in the sword of the Spirit. Kill yourself. Deny yourself. And let Christ live in you. Galatians 2.20 It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Your good works, no matter how biblical they are, must seem like rubbish compared to the death and resurrection of Christ. You cannot partake in Christ's righteousness unless you do away with your own righteousness. Unless you do away with your own good works, unless you do away with your impressive resume, no matter how good of a life you've led, no matter how good of a person you think you are, no matter how good of a Christian you are, you must kill yourself if any of it's going to count for anything. The last day of camp, I had a divine appointment with a kid. That was the day I decided to kill myself. I stopped feeling sorry for myself and being mad at other people. I was at camp, though, doing good things, right? Nothing was accomplished by me until I killed myself. Until I did away with Zach and let Christ just do it. Some of you, maybe just me, sometimes think God is so lucky to have you. Man, God's so lucky to have me. Look at how much I do for him. God's so lucky. God smiled the day I was born because he knew I was destined for greatness. 
right? I mean, come on. We think this sometimes. I mean, I did a really good Christian thing today. I think I'm going to put it on my Facebook page. I'm going to tweet it. I did a really good Christian thing today. I'm going to tell everyone. Look at me, the chosen one of God. That's me all the time. I'm so prideful. I need to kill myself, man. And you know what? I need people to kill me. I need people in my life that will say, Zach, dude, loser. Otherwise, I'll just get a huge head. I don't know. Maybe I'm preaching myself. But biblically, I don't think that's true. Some of you may already be thinking, okay, 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 okay. It's not about works. It's not about works. So what can I do to make that happen? What can I do to make myself think that it's not about works? (laughs) What can I do? Many times that's me. When I hear people say, it's not about works. It's about the grace of God. You just accept the grace of God. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. What do I do? Like, 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 like it, it doesn't compute sometimes. It doesn't compute because the Christian walk is always about, hey, what, what do you do? What do you do? No, 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 no. I die. That's what I do. Okay? I'm giving you application right now. Die. Realize how sinful you are. Because, do you know what? When you're really worked up on your good works and all the good things you do for Christ, I'm talking to you double dippers, right? You know, like, I, Church second time today. Listen, listen, listen. Before honor is humility. Share in Christ's death and you will share in his resurrection. That's what Paul says. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Humble yourself as Christ humbled himself. Right? Humble yourself as Christ humbled himself. Serve others. Don't expect any recognition. (coughs) Excuse me, cough. Don't expect anything. Just do it. Just serve God and die to yourself. There was was a a guy, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of, of, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of giving you his name. But there's, there's, Odds, like there, there's just con- conflict happening. And in the midst of all the conflict, this guy was praying and fasting. And the conflict subsided for a season. That's what you do. Humble yourself. Don't expect any recognition. Do you need God is the question I want to ask before I close. And 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 do you know what? At church, I, I can shout, hey, do you need God, ladies and gentlemen? And you'll be like, yes, we need God. <laughs> During worship, we'll be like, God, I need you. Do you, though? Do you live your life in a way where you must rely on the power of God to sustain you? And I'm not saying sell everything you have, quit your job, and move to Uganda, right? I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, Is the work you're doing for Christ, does it require Christ? Think about that. Because a lot of us do good works every day. But does the good work you do for Christ require Christ? 
Many people go to Uganda, give, them to- give the kids toys, give the people vaccines, teach them all these different new types of technology. And do you know what the missionaries told me? They told me that stuff is useless because you're just making them clever criminals. If the heart is not right, the works are rubbish. So many people go to third world countries and they teach them all these fantastic things. They give them all this money and, these, and the food and the fresh water and the clean water. All it does is make them more comfortable devils. That's what the missionaries said. They said there's so many people that come and give them so much things and then it makes them spoiled and then they want more and they can't have it because the white people are gone. And so they steal People give them good health, but they don't give them Jesus. They use that good health, and they go and rob places. This man has a newfound health. He no longer needs his family. He's gone. Dish his kids. Dish his wife. I don't need them to take care of me anymore. I'm out of here. They gave me me medicine. These kids, they gave me toys. They gave me toys. So many toys. That kid has better toys. Why did he get the fire truck and I got the police truck? That's what happens. Do your good works require the good Savior? Does, do the good things you do in life, do the moral things you do in life, do they require Jesus? Because if they don't, what good are they? Right? Paul says they're rubbish. Paul says they're rubbish. You make people happy, but where's Jesus? Where's the satisfaction? That's what I would submit to you. Do you need God? This is the question I have to ask myself, especially in ministry. In ministry, do I need God? Am I just going through the motions? Because every Sunday and every Wednesday, I can hang out with those kids and I can teach them a Bible story. I can do that every week and their lives would not change one bit. In fact, before I left for Uganda, that's what I was doing. I realized at the tail end before I left for Uganda, just for a couple of weeks, I'd stop praying for those kids. I got this. I got this. I'd stop praying for my staff. I'd pray for them every morning. I stopped. I don't know why. I just did. I just thought, they got it. They don't need my prayers. They seem, they seem awesome. Do your good works require Jesus? I was going to say a joke, but I thought I was getting really serious. So I'm going to stay serious. the good actions that we do, the calling that God has on our lives is not to do good works. When he called Matthew, he didn't say, Matthew, come follow me. And I'm going to teach you how to do all these cool things, all these sweet tricks, and people are going to love you for it. Follow me, and I'll teach you how to turn water into wine so everyone will love you and you'll be the life of the party. He said, Matthew, follow me. That's it. Follow me. Me. He didn't, he didn't give him a, a, a Christian novel. He said, follow me. Follow me. 
Here we have communion. And this is what I, what, what I expressed to the kids on, on the last night of camp. Here's communion. We are sinful, yes? I don't want to rag on you. I'm, I'm probably more sinful than all of you, okay? I don't want to rag on you. But we're sinful. We're depraved, right? The only good thing in us is Christ, whether we think it or not, right? <clears throat> Christ died for us. But before he did that, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is a symbol of my humility to you. This is a symbol of me sacrificing myself for you. This is a symbol for me denying my own righteousness for the sake of your righteousness. Okay? This is for me to deny my godhood and my inheritance as king over and ruler over this earth so that you may have life with me. This is so you can live for, with me. And then he, he gives them the wine, which is very interesting because he says, this is my covenant. Take and drink of it. Now, this wasn't just like, hey, here's a cup. You know, drink, drink with me. Here's some wine. Here's, here's my blood. No, he's saying, this is my covenant. Do you know what he was saying when he said, take this wine? Anyone want to guess? He was saying, marry me. That's what God was saying. This is my covenant. Take and drink of it. He said, marry me. Will you marry me? He asks you. And, and this is why I love the book of Hosea. Mark Lesney taught on it earlier. It, we're a rebellious bride. We, are, we, 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 we cheat on God constantly, constantly. But we come back to this moment in communion where Jesus proposes to us again. Will you marry me? We say yes. We go and sin again. We come back to the cross. We come back to the covenant. Will you marry me? Yes, yes I will. How, no matter how unfaithful we are, we go back to the cross. We go back to the shedding of Christ's blood and we realize that is him proposing to his bride. This is so scandalous. This is so out there that a God, knowing how sinful we are, would give us his righteousness. Even when we don't recognize how sinful we are sometimes. He says, will you marry me? That's why we do communion every Sunday night. That's really why I, I, want to, I want to remember what Christ has done every single night. God is proposing to you tonight. Do you guys know that? God's proposing to you as, as a groom who loves you no matter what. How many of you want to be loved unconditionally like that? Where no matter what you do, your groom will come up to you and say, marry me. For some of you guys are like, that's a little weird. I don't want to picture myself in a dress. No, 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 no. No. No, God's saying, God's saying, I still want to be with you. I still want to love you. I still want you to be my son. I still want you to be my child. And I'm never going to let you go. Drink of my covenant. Partake in me tonight. Worship me tonight. Because I have accepted you. Tonight as we worship, recognize your sinfulness. Do away with your own righteousness you can't have Christ and your, and your righteousness at the same time. Realize that your morality is nothing but rubbish. And then realize also, take the example of Christ and the bread that was shed for you, the body that was broken for you. 
And then, look at the cup. Look at the covenant. And say, I do. Say, I do to God tonight. So John, if you can come up and we can start worship. We have longer worship Sunday nights, right? It's not a warm-up for the message. It's worshiping God Almighty because he's worthy of it. Many people like to skip out on worship early because, do you know what? They don't need to worship God. They're righteous enough as it is. But let's worship God tonight. And do you know what? Freely, whenever you feel ready, take communion. If you don't feel ready, if you don't want to say, I do, don't worry. No judgment. But God's proposing to you tonight. It's a scandalous calling God's given you. Because it's not about you. Many people are hired or chosen because of something special about them. But God just chose you because he loves you. He doesn't care about what you do. He just wants you to love him back. Say I do tonight. Take communion. Say I do. And the, and the engagement's awesome. You get to be with God. right? You get to spend time. And then there's going to be a wedding day in heaven where the bride is going to be united with her groom on an amazing shore, glassy shore. We're going to say, holy is my groom. Holy is my God. Say I do tonight. Amen? Lord, we love you. God, we love you because you first loved us. We recognize that there's nothing we can do to be righteous. And so, Father, I pray that we die to ourselves tonight. And let you live in us, because it's so much less pressure, Lord. So much less pressure to try to be such a good person, Lord, and just let you be that good person through me. Allow us to submit tonight and say, I do. Recognize that you are a great servant, and then recognize that you are a good groom. Lord, I do tonight. I do. Not because I'm awesome. And oh, of course you picked me. No. Lord, you're just awesome that way. We praise you tonight, Lord, and we worship you tonight. And I pray that our worship would not be hindered by our own righteousness, Lord. That we do away with our righteousness and glorify you for yours, Lord. That we'd yell, we'd shout, we'd bow, we'd cry in the presence of our awesome Savior. Pray this wouldn't be church, Lord. That this would be, this would be the day our, our God proposed to us and we said yes. Make this a special night of worship. We love you, and it's in your name, your precious name, we pray. Amen.